So do you want to be rich? <laughs> Here's a way to start off our sermon, right? Do you want to be rich? I saw a, a list recently of things that rich people rarely do. And coming in at number 13 on that list of things that rich people rarely do, they rarely eat junk food. Well, bless my heart, I will never be rich. You know, it's just never going to happen. Not, not going to happen. I'm, I'm a little sad. I will say that, you know, there was a time when I, when I was you know, starting a diet that I got rid of all of the junk food in my house. All of it. And it was delicious. I mean, it was fantastic. I just, it was, it, was, it was the greatest day of my life. It's been said that you are what you eat. So I guess if you eat donuts from the QT gas station every night after 9.30, you're probably not going to be rich. You know, it's just not going to happen. One, you're going to get so big you won't be able to get in your El Camino and go to work. So you got that working against you. And, and then two, you're going to spend all of your money on donuts from the QT. It's really sad. I actually know when the donut man comes at QT. Like I know, pretty much all of them. He leaves Charlotte about uh, 6 o'clock, and he makes his way down. Through, yeah, I mean, I know this stuff. It's really sad. But they're good donuts, so, you know. But what if there was a completely different way to be rich? A way where you get to keep your wealth. A way where you get to keep your riches. Not like in a, in a safe or a safe deposit box, but you, you actually get to keep your riches with you forever. That's a little different, right? I mean, the, the old adage is, you know, you can't take it with you when you go. So how in the world could you keep your wealth with you forever? And, and sorry to those who are watching online, but there's another part of this that in a sense, this kind of wealth, you can actually gain from the people sitting around you right now. Yeah, there, there's a sense that, that this wealth can actually be gained even as we gather here in this room. Getting rich at church. So I guess I'm going to preach a prosperity gospel sermon, right? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is for real. We continue our series 7G Plus today talking about the speed that you need to do life uh, each week we're taking a theme from the Bible that begins with the letter G, and today our, our word, our message, our theme is gather. Uh, we're going to be looking today at gathering. Somebody say, well, hang on, you're talking about being rich and gathering, so are we gathering to collect money? Is that, is that what's going to happen? No, but there is a sense that gathering is one way that you can become rich. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to see if we can't find out. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to ask Paul to walk us through this concept of what it means to gather and what it means to gain wealth. Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul says this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Well, there's a rich word for us there. Richly, Paul is writing about. And why is Paul writing this letter? Well, he's writing this letter because he knew that the folks in the church were going to struggle. They were going to struggle. And why were they going to struggle? Well, they were going to struggle because they're sinful, just like we are. And they were going to struggle because life is hard and difficult and busy and, and there's always something that can distract us. So he's writing this letter because he knew the people were going to get distracted from something super important. 
And what is that one thing they were going to be distracted from? Well, he describes it in a lot of different ways all over the book of Colossians. But we could probably sum it up with, with kind of just one phrase, and that's this. The Christians, the believers, the churchgoers, they were going to be distracted with this truth, that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. Listen to that again. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. If you're going to leave for a few days, be away from your family, uh, maybe for a few days or a few weeks, what are some of the things you say when you leave? You know, maybe you say, love you, miss you, see you later. Might, if you have kids, you would say, hey, you know, do your homework, you know, practice your piccolo, you know, uh, feed the dog, take out the trash, honor your mom, help your dad, don't touch my dark chocolate Reese's peanut butter cups in the fridge, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, we, we, we always have some kind of instruction, some things that we might say, you know, right at the end before we go. Well, Jesus wasn't leaving for a few days or a few weeks. He was leaving the earth and, and mathematically for a couple of thousand years now. He was leaving the earth and he's talking to his friends. He's saying goodbye to his friends. His friends are still a little confused about everything that was happening around them at the time. So some of them are probably thinking, all right, this is the last time we're going to see Jesus. And in that moment, what did Jesus say to them? This is what he said, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not most authority, not, not 10% of authority, all authority. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. What kind of things are we talking about? I came across a, an exhaustive list. I'm just going to give you a, a sampling of some of the things. Jesus Christ is infinitely supreme over all stars, all planets, and all galaxies. He's infinitely supreme over all of the rock on the top of Mount Everest. He's infinitely supreme over all of the sand in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. He's infinitely supreme over plants and animals, weather systems, weather storms, biological processes, chemical processes. He's infinitely supreme over diseases, all of them, all medicines, all vaccines. He's infinitely supreme over all countries, all governments, all nations, all elections, all politics, all debates. He's infinitely supreme over all armies and all entertainment and all sports and all leisure and all business and all finance and all industry and all manufacturing and all the internet portals. He's infinitely supreme over all things. This is who Jesus is. He's not a religious leader. He is the great Savior, supreme over everything. Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. He famously said that there is not a square inch of the earth over which Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. He rules, he reigns over 
all things. He is supreme. That's who Jesus is. And if that's not your Jesus, then you may not know Jesus. If your version of Jesus is just a you know, nice white guy with a great beard and a very nice tunic and pearly whites telling everybody that all roads lead to heaven, you have not met the Jesus of Nazareth. He is supreme over all things. Now, that doesn't mean that because Jesus is supreme over all things that all things work out the way we want them to. It doesn't mean that he, he moves things so that things happen exactly the way we want them to happen. What it does mean is this, is no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're in the middle of, no matter what conflict we are facing, whether it's trouble or trial or tragedy, no matter what that moment is, we can find hope and purpose. We can trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Not the idea of Jesus Christ. Not the idea of Christianity, not the idea of church, not the idea of religion, not the idea of good vibes, not the idea of justice, but the very person of Jesus Christ. See, the reality is if I'm just trusting in an idea, then my confidence may not be very great. If I'm just trusting in a religious leader or a religion, then my confidence will not be great. My ability to face all the difficulties of life with this sense that there is something and someone greater than just me will, will be smaller if it's not the person of Jesus Christ. I was watching something on TV this week and, and one of the characters in the show says, yeah, he goes, my job is to help people understand that they are not part of something bigger than themselves. It's just them and that's it. But when you look at the person of Jesus, it's, it's impossible to come to that conclusion. There is something in Jesus Christ that, that changes the story. It changes the dynamics. It's hard to look away from. And so it's not confidence and trust in the idea of something. It is confidence and trust in the person of Jesus. Because it's only in the person of Jesus Christ that I can say with complete confidence that my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to a cross and I don't bear the penalty of that sin anymore. Only because of Jesus. He is supreme over all things. All things. Paul's telling the church they need to let that truth richly dwell within them. What does it mean for something to, to dwell? Well, when I go home at night, I go inside of my house. I don't go into my front yard where there's an inflatable mattress and, you know, a bucket, you know, with some, a bottle of, you know, distilled water. And that's where I brush my teeth and, you know, wash my hair and style it and everything. It's not in the front yard. You know, the magic doesn't happen in the front yard. You know, I, I have to go inside. You know, I, I get to go inside my house and live inside my house. 
So for something to dwell means that it is inside. So Paul's saying the word of Christ needs to dwell inside of your heart and your mind and your soul. It doesn't need to be in the front yard. It needs to be inside. So what is the word of Christ? Well, it's the truth about Jesus. It's the message about Jesus. We would say the word that we use is gospel. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not just a few Bible verses. The gospel is not just a couple of parables. The gospel is not the ABCs of salvation. The gospel is not just the manger, and it's not just the cross. The gospel is the story of God's amazing grace, and that amazing grace began before the foundations of the world. And in his extreme kindness, God made sure that that kindness was written down for us. That we didn't have to go out into the parking lot and hope that the clouds would show us some message. But God made sure that the truth of his grace in and through Jesus Christ, that the word of Christ was written down for us. The Old Testament of the Bible, the New Testament of the Bible, they contain the message about Jesus. They contain the gospel. The Bible contains the word of Christ and the words of Christ. What we need is there. Philip Brooks described the Bible like a telescope. He said, you know, if you have a telescope and you look through that telescope, you can see worlds beyond, right? You you can see the the stars and, and whatever's out there in space. But if you just look at your telescope, nothing's gonna happen, right? You have to look through the telescope to see the worlds beyond. This is what he says about the Bible. The Bible is a thing to be looked through to see that which is beyond, but... Most people only look at the Bible, and so far too often they only see a dead letter. The words of Christ are not dead, and the word of Christ is not dead, because the truth of the Bible is not dead. It is God's design that we would look through the Bible to see the greatness of his majesty, to see that he is holy, that he is the deliverer, that he is omnipotent, that he is all the things that we can't possibly imagine. And Paul says, let that dwell in your heart and mind. Put that in your tank. Let that be how you think and and what you do. In other words, in simple terms, the truth of the Bible needs to find a place. It needs to feel like your heart and your mind can be its home. We need to make a home for the Bible in our hearts and our minds. Not because it's some religious book, but because it is the very truth of God. It is the word of Christ. When I get home after church and, and change into my, you know, Uh, Cocoa Pebbles hoodie and my Zubaz pants, you know, relax a little bit. You know, when when I get there, I'm not going to holler down the stairs to my wife and say, hey, where'd I put all this stuff? What'd I do with it? No, because I know where it goes, right? I mean, I'm going to go hang it up in the closet where it goes. I, I know where things go in my house. We need to, as believers, We need to have a relationship with the Bible in such a way that we kind of know where it goes. 
Like it's, it's in there. We're familiar with it. It is part of who we are. Paul says the word of Christ needs to richly dwell inside of us. It needs to be familiar. I love how Charles Spurgeon said this many years ago. He said, my dear friends, I should like you so to read the Bible that everybody in the Bible should seem to be a friend of yours. I should like you to feel as if you had talked with Abraham and conversed with David. Let old Noah come in with his ark if he likes, and let Daniel come in with his lion's den if he pleases, and all the rest of the godly men and women. Take them all into your very nature and be on familiar terms with them. But most of all, be specially intimate with him of whom they all speak, namely Jesus Christ. And why should you do that? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. It's why this truth about Jesus, we, we want to get into our hearts. We want to get into our minds. Because the reality is we will be distracted. We will be pulled away. We will struggle with life. But if you want to be rich, if you want to truly be rich with wealth that will still be infinitely valuable 10,000 years from now, then let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Let the truth of the Bible find a home inside of you. It's hard to explain, but once it finds its home, things change. Some of you just looked at me and smiled because you've told me your stories of how the Bible has changed your life. How when you richly dwell on it, things are different. But you know, life is tough, right? Sometimes life gets really messy. And we need a little pick-me-up, need a little, little touch-up, you know? We, we need a little boost to our faith. So where do we find that? Paul was writing to the folks at Rome. He said this in Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Everything comes back to the word, the message, the gospel about Jesus. We need a good anchor in the truth of God's word or we will follow anything, especially if you put a cross or a fish on it. Oh yeah, well that's gotta be a God, you know? Or we'll follow after anything else, right? I mean, if someone says, well, well, this is what's going to help our culture, well, this is what's going to help our society, this is what can change everything, then we go, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to chase after that too. That's not the promise of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise that it will make America great again. Doesn't. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise that gas prices will go down. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise if you just get the, the right politicians and the right laws and the right rules or get the right eco products at home or the right green smoothie that everything magically is just going to be great. Doesn't promise that. I'm good with all those things. As long as I can have a donut with that green smoothie, I'm good. I'm fine. Listen, none of us are perfect. Okay? No one outside of this building is perfect. 
No one in Colombia or Washington or, or Russia or the Ukraine or any other square inch of this planet is perfect. So it is impossible that we will ever get everything all worked out. It will never be a perfect society. It will never be a perfect culture. That does not mean that we should not strive to do good by our planet, to do good by the people on this planet, because they have been created in the image of God. So yes, we should do all we can to honor and be good stewards of what God has given us, because that is pleasing to our creator. But the gospel does not promise that magically all the injustices of the world on earth are going to be squared away. But the gospel does promise this. The gospel does promise freedom. True, lasting, ultimate freedom. Ultimate freedom from the ultimate consequences of sin. Ultimate freedom from the failures and the injustices that cannot be fixed on earth. But freedom from them one day. And most of all, the gospel offers and provides freedom from the eternal, never-ending death of a person's soul. Freedom is what the gospel offers. Now, some people will say, ah, that's just a bunch of religious hocus-pocus. Other people would say, that's, that's just wishful thinking. Then much courage. And the least tincture of the love of God more than all. That was 50s language. Let me see if I can update it. Courage is great. Knowledge is super helpful. Sympathy is fantastic. But the love of God is more powerful, more practical, more penetrating than anything else in the universe. The relentless love of God is the greatest help for pain, the greatest help for suffering, the greatest help for evil, the greatest help for injustice. And nowhere has God displayed his relentless love more than in the person of Jesus Christ. Nowhere has God more productively and impressively displayed his love than in the person of Jesus Christ. The love of God in and through Jesus is not always the immediate practical answer to all the sin and evil and injustice that we're facing in the moment. But the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ is always the ultimate practical answer for the problem of pain and evil, and sin, and suffering, and all the other things that we don't like in life. Yeah, we need immediate answers sometimes. We do. And, and we need ultimate answers too. But here's the thing about the ultimate answers. The ultimate answers reorient us to that truth that we mentioned last week. And that is, if you are in Christ, you can breathe easy. You can breathe easy. And the reason you can breathe easy is because death is no longer your fate. 
To be in Christ means that never-ending death is no longer your fate. Not a nursery rhyme, not a fairy tale. Jesus historically, practically, spiritually died to make sure that he purchased for us the right to be free from never-ending death. The ultimate answer is always the answer we need the most because it helps us to breathe easy because we know that death is no longer our fate. The greatest riches in the universe, they're all found in Jesus Christ. The greatest riches in the universe are all found in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul wrote to the church and said, you guys need to let this truth dwell richly in your heart. Get it inside. And how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to dwell? What does it look like in real life? Well, I'm going to tell you, Paul gives the most interesting illustration, practical way to do this, maybe in, in all of the New Testament. This is what he says, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I just think this is fascinating. The way Paul says we need to let the word of Christ richly dwell in us is through singing. Now, some of you, you know, you're, you're not singers, you know, and you would say, ah, I'm not a singer, I don't like music, blah, blah, blah. It's okay, just, just hang with me here. Because the picture is, is not you standing on the stage and, and singing. The picture here is that the word of Christ is not just supposed to dwell in our own personal hearts, but the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in the church. It's supposed to dwell as we gather. See, we don't gather just as a religious activity. We don't gather just as a religious ceremony. This isn't a country club where you pay your dues and you get what you want. No, this is a, a gathering of sinful people who need a great Savior. This is a, a gathering of, of sinners and saints that know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we need something or someone beyond what we experience in the world. We do. We know that. We've been created with a desire for the glory of God. And the only way we can find that desire is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we gather, one of the ways we help each other get rich is by helping each other dwell on the word of Christ. And Paul says one of the ways we do that is through singing. You know, it's why we, we always have to be careful about music in the church being performance only because we're supposed to be singing together. It's something we encourage each other together. And notice Paul uses two words, teaching and admonishing. Well, teaching we get, right? It's, it's instructive. You know, the words that are sung. If we look at the choir song, the, the bridge of that song, and all those words about who God is, that's, that's there to teach us, oh yeah, God is mighty. He is omnipotent. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Deliverer. It's teaching us, but it's also admonishing us. Admonishing is, a, is kind of a warning. In other words, it's also saying, hey, Dal, what did you freak out about this week and forget that God is on his throne? 
Because he's Alpha and Omega. He's mighty. He's the deliverer. All of those things are true when you're at the gas pump. All of those things are true when you're at the hospital. All of those things are true when you're at work and school and, and wherever else you may be where life is getting frustrated. Everything about God is true all the time. And most specifically, what is always true is that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. And Paul says, get that inside. Let that be a part of who you are. Dwell on that. And notice Paul uses all the musics, <laughs> all of them, you know, whatever's out there. You know, he purposely was trying to be sure that they understood, look, this is not about the style of music. This is about the truth of what is being sung and played. Maybe nowhere do we see this more clearly than in the New Testament book of Acts. It's been about 20 years since Jesus had been crucified and risen from the grave, and Paul and Silas had been arrested for sharing the word of Christ. They, they were preaching the gospel, and they had been arrested for that. You know, not, not being jerks, but just telling people about Jesus, and they had been arrested. They were brutally beaten and tortured, Punched in the face, beaten with rods, just severely, brutally beaten. And then they were taken into the inner part of the prison where it would have been more dark and, and more isolated. And after being beaten and tortured, they were taken into that inner part and then they were shackled with chains to the wall inside the prison. And, and it was full of prisoners. There was prisoners everywhere. And, and that's where we show up on the scene. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right, how many of you are in bed before 9 o'clock every night? Come on, let me see your hands. Come on, don't lie. We know you are. All right, how many of you are never in the bed before midnight? All right, I got a few of us, okay, all right. Now, for you people that are in bed by 9 o'clock, can you imagine even being up at midnight? You know what I'm saying? I mean, really, y'all know. If y'all were up at midnight, you'd need a lot of coffee or a lot of something, right? Now, can you imagine at midnight, first, you're up, you know, that's, that's weird as it was, but then can you imagine it's midnight and for the last few hours you had been beaten and tortured. And now you're chained up in, inside of a prison cell. It's dark. You can't see anything. And all you hear is the, the moaning and the pain of others. And in that moment, I mean in that moment, is that the moment that you think you would naturally just sit there and you would say, Hear my praises, Lord. Let me sing to you. Is that the moment that you would find yourself going, You are good, good, oh. I mean, if we're honest, we'd, we'd say no, you know. And in the darkness of that moment, not only were they just singing and praying, but, but there were people listening. Guess what? We live in a dark world. If you're a believer, let me just help us step into that moment for 
in this dark world, in a world overwhelmed with sin and evil, what is the world hearing when they listen to us? What are they hearing from us? What did those prisoners hear from Paul and Silas that night? Well, there was no sanctuary. There was no auditorium. There was no piano. There was no organ. There was no choir. There was no praise band. There was none of the things that we connect with music. There's just two dudes who had been brutally beaten. And they were praising God. They were worshiping God. The scripture says, with thankfulness in their heart and blood coming down their mouth. And their vision probably blurry. And bruises and and pains in every part of their body. They sang praises to God. Why? Here's why. Because the word of Christ was richly dwelling in their hearts. It never left. It found its home. You want to be rich? Then dwell on the word of Christ. You want to be rich? Then gather regularly in church and life groups and mission opportunities and and ways to serve with other believers and dwell on the word of Christ. Do you want to be rich? Then dwell on the word of Christ, and here's why. Because Jesus Christ is, is supreme over all things. And nothing and no one will ever change that.